Good morning. You are listening to Action Line on KNY. I am your host, Jordan Lewis, and joining me in the studio today is Representative Sarah Hannon. How are you doing today? Oh, good morning, Jordan. Well, we're here on a beautiful spring day, which means it's gray and misty moisty to get our snow gone. True, true, but hey, you have made the key point of it's not snow. It's not snow, and as I've said at the legislature, you don't have to shovel rain. That's but, very true. Yeah. Although, you might have to push it out of some AstroTurf if you're doing sports. Right, and it may have brought a lot of gravel into your yard, and it's still kind of cold out there. It's not a warm rain yet, but gardeners are getting anxious. That is very true. Now, there was a couple things I want to talk to you about today, and we talked a bit about them before the show. So the first one I want to hit is actually a bill that you are the prime sponsor on, which it was, and we talked about, I said the number, but I also will say the the bill itself, which is HB 43, which is about conversion therapy prohibitions. So why don't you start talking to me about that? So um, I came to sponsoring this bill out of work on um, suicide. So uh, one of the, you know, sad facts about Alaska is we're one of the leading states in suicide, especially in our young people. Um, We're not always number one, but we're always in the top five states. So one of those horrible social statistics that doesn't reflect well on us. When you start evaluating data on suicide risk and suicide ideation, Young people who are LGBTQ exhibit a higher risk, a much higher risk than their uh, other normative peer group age. So, you know, female of this age range, if you are LGBTQ and control and other factors, your risk is doubled because of that. And of course, we already have some subgroups within our youth that are much higher risk. Um, Young Native men are the most at-risk group of suicide uh, ideation and and death by suicide in Alaska. But if you add on to that LGBTQ, that escalates the risk. And there's a lot of research been done across the nation and in Alaska on suicide. When you then identify that really at-risk, and then within that, it's been identified through all the data, Young people who have been subjected to what's called conversion therapy, and I'm only using that because that's what it's colloquially known with. I do not think of it as a therapy. Um, are at an increased risk over their, uh, again, peer-normed LGBTQ kids who are already at the highest at risk, and now you've increased that risk almost to twofold again. Um, so... When you look at that, it is a practice that many states, when looking at suicide risk, have said, we need to take this into account. Separately, the American Psychiatric Association and the American Pediatric Association have for 20 years said, conversion therapy isn't a therapy. It's not successful in treating uh, people's mental health issues surrounding uh, sexuality. And in fact, it's generally found to be very harmful. Um, Young folks who uh, have been subjected to it call themselves survivors. It's so uh, 
you know, torturesome. So states who are identifying ways to reduce suicide risk have identified it as the most at-risk population. And since medical organizations have been saying for a couple of decades, this should not be a therapy, one of the approaches is to restrict it through the licensing of it. Now, it only this bill only restricts the practice of attempting to change someone's sexual orientation of youth in a licensed healthcare practitioner, right? So if you're a church who still wants to preach that, that's within your right. If you are an adult who would like to participate in a therapy that wouldn't be recommended by the American Psychiatric Association, again, within your right. But for children and at-risk vulnerable adults are also covered in this, um, it is an approach to, you know, reduce our risk, reduce our harm. Okay. There's my long intro to it. <laughs> oh, no, you're fine. I was going to say, I, no, I think it's good to have that conversation, especially because, you know, and I'm thinking about, you know, we talk about recent events that sort of, you know, would add those sort of mental stressors you want to think about, you know, those notes that were found around town the other week, and that would add another mental stressor on top of that. And so you think about things like that that might happen on a somewhat regular basis, unfortunately. And so to hear that then you have conversion therapy, which again, like you said, is not really much of a therapy, it, it does raise those concerns. So to see that there's being legis- this legislation being discussed that would help to mitigate that or sort of reduce those stressors and help to potentially lower those numbers is interesting to hear about. Yeah. Yeah. And the states... Um I went to a, a summit on, I, have, I served for four years on the state's suicide task, uh, council. There are four legislative members on it. Um, and I went to a summit of, you know, uh, suicide policy addressers. Um, there were about 50 people there, and it was in 2019, and Utah had just banned it. And the senator who had led the ban in Utah um, you know, what he said is, this is pro-life legislation. And he says, and this is how you should push it in your state because, you know, let's not talk about the abortion debate. Let's talk about we've got young people who can identify that their lives are at risk because of this behavior. And it is a pro-life bill to make sure that we are trying to support and help the young people we have here. Gotcha. So I, I was going to say it's interesting hearing you use the, the pro-life terminology because oftentimes, when you, like you said, it's associated with that abortion conversation debate. However, someone chooses to phrase it. Yeah. And so hearing it put that way and using that terminology, it would correctly be identified as such because we're working to make sure more people are still alive. Yeah. 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 People who are at risk of not surviving, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, it's not a panacea. It's, it's not a silver bullet. Um, like most social issues, um, and I would say medical issues. Suicide is a very complex issue, but when we can start to identify stressors, at-risk groups, stressors, doing things to specifically resolve those issues helps us, you know. It's the same reason that there's, you know, there's a local um, veterans group working on veteran suicide issues, you know, and we're not a community with a huge active military base, but across Alaska we have a very high rate of um, military participation, and as a result a lot of veterans and um, 
you know, again, in the adult population, veterans are one of our highest risk groups of suicidal behavior. And, you know, how you address that and identify it um, is different than how you would approach teenagers or 20-somethings and they're at risk because the stressors that have led them to suicidal ideation and behavior are different. But nevertheless, in a state like Alaska, we everyone has been touched by suicide, every family. And if it's not in your immediate family, you know, that's a blessing, but every family knows someone, you know, we're, we're all one step removed from the impacts of suicidal behaviors and ideation, and it's something that we should be able to address and turn around. Okay. Then we don't actually have too much more time in this first half, I realize, cause, I mean, which is fine. <laughs> we had a, we were, ha- we're having a good conversation, so that's perfectly fine. I wanted to hit uh, HB 99 at least a little bit in this first half, and that was about uh, gender or sexual-based discrimination. Yes. Adding, that bill would add into the list of protected classes in Alaska gender and sexual orientation. So just like race is a protected class, can't discriminate in housing or employment against someone based on their race or their religion, um, it would put it into statute statewide. Uh Juno happens to be a community where it's been part of our city charter as a protected class like gender and race and religion, um, but it is not statewide. And there, you know, there's an impotence. There has been a push to do it the entire time I've been in. Uh, Representative Andy Josephson of Anchorage has sponsored an anti-discrimination bill for at least four years, but I think it's more like six or eight. He's been in um, a couple terms longer than me. But with this, you know, in the House, 40-member body, we have 17 true freshmen. And for those freshmen, um, they three of those members of that freshman class uh, identify as queer. And for them, it was a high-priority bill to push again and sort of not in response to, but simultaneously, we found that the State Human Rights Commission, under directives from our Attorney General, had pulled back on on gender and sexual orientation being categories that the State Human Rights uh, Commission were going to engage on. Um, and he said, we don't have statutory obligation to do that, so don't. So that sort of heightened the wish to make sure, let's we've known we should change the stat, statute. Let's change the statute, and so that's where that push has come from. Gotcha. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you more about that. We're gonna be taking our break, and then when we come back, we'll be talking more with Representative Hannon. There we go. Now, before the break, you had started talking to me a bit about uh, I think it was the Attorney General's stance on the gender and sexual orientation based discrimination. Do you want to continue talking on that point? Well, you know, it, I think it's, um, I don't know that I have a lot to say except for that the Alaska Human Rights Commission, um, you know, it, it's citizens who are appointed to it. They do have a staff person. And when an Alaskan takes a pl- complaint before the Alaska Human Rights Commission, um, they have an expectation of feedback and concern. And that commission, in responding to the attorney general saying it's not a category protected in statute, you as the Human Rights Commission don't have the jurisdiction on this, 
um, but they didn't didn't make it public at the point. And um, I think it just underscores the necessity. Uh, Representative Armstrong, who's the prime sponsor of House Bill 99, has phrased it um, that this this isn't a gender issue or a sexuality issue. It's a housing and working rights protection issue. And she uses the example of Fairbanks, where there's large military installation and we're transferring a bunch of people there, you know, building out. And she says, you know, the military may have accepted you as an LGBTQ family, but when you're seeking housing in Fairbanks, you could be discriminated against because of that. And now that impacts your work because, of course, as a military member, you didn't have a choice of where you were transferred to, to somewhere that would accept you as a full citizen with all the rights and protections that you're fighting for in the military, but you could be discriminated against in your location. And I think, um, you know, a, an individual doesn't have to agree or affirm anybody else's behavior, but to acknowledge that Alaskans stand up for privacy and equality and um, the ability to find housing and job protections that are equal to all. Gotcha. I thought that was a good conversation on those two. I've crossed these two halves. <laughs> okay. Now, the other one I wanted to talk to you about, because you are part of the finance committee, is... Obviously, the base student allocation. That's been a hot topic. It's probably going to be a hot topic until we get some more movement on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's uh, it gets complicated and political real quick. But Alaska primarily funds our school system with state money via what's called the base student allocation. So the money comes per head for a kid enrolled in a school. So... Um, but we as a state have not con increased the base student allocation formula for about seven years. And what we know is costs have gone up. Um, the example that I use is from the Juneau School District that six years, five years ago, the um, P&I insurance, so property and indemnity insurance for the school district was a $200,000 a year insurance policy. And then it doubled, and it was a $400,000 a year. This is in the last three years. This year, the school district's bill for it is $1.2 million. So that fixed cost has tripled from last year, from 400000 to 1.2. But we don't have any more money in the formula to pay for it. And the other part of a base student allocation formula in a community like Juneau, where we're a first-class municipality and we operate our school district there is a cap on how much your local government can contribute to the schools um, you know we tried to balance out and learn from other states so that we didn't see um, you know in the 1960s what you saw in a lot of urban school districts as they had to go you know there were segregation now you're desegregating schools um, you had people fleeing to the suburbs and if it was completely based on property taxes in your area, you might have a really well-funded school district and a totally impoverished, you know, a couple miles from each other. Now, in Alaska, we don't actually have that many school districts where you could abut one school district and another, living in those communities. Our, you know, Anchorage, or Juneau to uh, south from us, Petersburg, we abut in local governments, but there's really no... 
speculation that a, Juno, a student from Juneau would commute to Petersburg or a student from Petersburg would commute to Juneau to take advantage of school. All of that is just background to say that we have in state law a cap on what a local government can contribute to their school district so they don't get too out of whack. And Juneau has been at the cap. We have maximized what we can contribute based on the base student allocation. So even though Juneau might be generously willing to tax itself more to cover an increase in insurance, we can't. Um, we can't put more money into our school district unless the base student allocation. We've already done the things like taking um, sports and activities, which can be funded outside of it and outside the cap. And we've been doing that for at least a half dozen years here. But as a result, we've got um, teachers who've not had a contract for over a year and are sort of at loggerheads from negotiation. We've had difficulty filling a number of positions in the school district. We've got bus drivers who, you know, will quickly as as tourism picks up and they can go to a job where, you know, driving a bus with people who are going to give them tips at the end of the shift. So even if the hourly wage is the same, driving a school bus or driving a tourism bus, you know that in the tourism bus, you're also going to get some money in hand. Um, so School districts across the state are struggling to just keep employees, let alone meet the expenses that they have. And things like, you know, computers. And we say that when the Juno School District, most of our students use Chromebooks, so they're not even full computers, but the cost of educating people goes up. Um, and it's not just teachers, it's all the expenses, and we need a substantial increase in the base student allocation so Alaskan students can get a 21st century education. Okay. I was going to say, I had this conversation <laughs> with Senator Keel as well, and so I've heard some of these points as well from him, but it's interesting to get more perspective on it. Now, we do still have a good bit of time, so is there anything in particular that you would like to talk about that maybe I haven't asked you about? Because I'm only human, and I can only remember so many things at a time. Yeah, um, well, I guess I'd, I was very optimistic at the, when we convened in January, and again, with all of those freshmen in the House, we have freshmen in the Senate, a lot of new energy. Um, I really thought we were going to see an increase in the base student allocation this session, you know, and a legislature has two halves. But we're down to, uh, we're at like 35 days left in the legislative session. And I'm less optimistic that we're going to deliver a specific increase to the base student allocation separate from the budget um, because the base student allocation actually has the dollar amount specified in the formula that's in statute. We have in the House, in the operating budget, there's some one-time money to increase it. So it would be for one year, but no promise that the following year, which still creates many of the hurdles that a school district has to address on, you know, an employment contract. You're not hiring somebody who's tenured and ongoing for one year at a time. You're hiring them for multiple years. Um, your expectation is that you're going to need them for multiple years. So uh, I'm less optimistic now that we're going to, in the next 34 days, have that issue resolved. Um, we still have not moved the operating budget from the House to the Senate. We did all our amendments on it a week ago, and now it's we've, we've rolled it the last four days, the four days we've had session, 
floor session um, to the next day's calendar. Since I'm in the minority, I don't have a clear understanding of why that's happening. Um, you know, because in politics, there are discussions with sometimes not everyone's in the room. And when you're in the minority, you're in fewer of the rooms where the discussions by the people who uh, make some of those decisions are. So it reminds me of the Hamilton quote, you want to be in the room where it happens, but yeah, you're just not in there. You're not in the room. So yeah, so, but we need to, you know, the operating budget is the is the one constitutional obligation the legislature has on an annual basis. The fiscal year ends on June 30th. Um, you want to give the governor the three weeks to make decisions about vetoes before the fiscal year starts on July 1st. So you don't always, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily, it does not improve governing to hold it to the last week of the session. Um, because once we pass it, the Senate still gets to have their say in general and traditionally. They'd pass back a budget that we wouldn't concur with, then it'd need to go to conference committee, and all of those things take time to turn around. You so, just start having all that back and forth. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in general, the last month of the legislature is usually pretty uh, intense with those kind of negotiations, but we're going to add on there that there's a lot of rumblings around um, fiscal policy that we still haven't had many large discussions about this year. So I, I sense that we're going to have a very intense end of the session. And I will certainly be keeping my eye on it. You can guarantee that. Now we do have about, looks like 20 seconds. You got a closing comment? A closing comment, which is it's Folk Festival Week in Juneau. And Juneau, it is one of the times we truly shine across the state. Um, it's not because we're the capital city. It's because we're an art community. So get out and listen to some music. If you can't get there in person, it is broadcast on a public radio station. But, of course, just being downtown, there's venues everywhere and the Jack tonight, and then um, Juno Douglas High School Auditorium for Friday night and Saturday night, and the guest band and dances. So um, get out and shake a leg or sing a tune. All righty. Well, thank you, Representative Han. It was fun talking with you. It was great to talk with you, Jordan. I look forward to being with you next month. I look forward to that as well. You've been listening to Action Line on KINY.